Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crack and One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crack and One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Daniel. And I'm Anders. We're nerds who love science fiction and fantasy stories, so of course, we love Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet just can't get enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So each episode, we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss what's new in the Star Wars canon and beyond. This is yet another Star Wars podcast. Today, we are very excited to share our initial reactions and theories for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3. The episode was written by John Favreau and Noah Clore and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. This is your official spoiler warning for this episode and all things Star Wars. So if you're ready, be sure not to touch the mountain as we discuss Chapter 19, The Convert. All right, let's punch it with our episode recap. Ooh, all right, here we go. Diving really deep right away. <laughs> we begin right where we left off, deep in those mines, with Bo and Din sitting next to the living waters pool, which, like, shouldn't you be a little farther away, considering there's a <laughs> mythosaur right there. Right. For real, just right there. Apparently, Din did fall into the pit and wasn't dragged in, which just I mean, makes him look really stupid. <laughs> yeah, that Beskar armor is really heavy. Super heavy. He sank like a freaking stone right to the bottom. Din's only focused on if he was redeemed, however, while Bo asks if he saw anything in the water, alive in the water. She's keeping her secrets for now. Din takes a vial of water to bring back to the armor. Bo brings Din back to Kalevala to get his ship, but they're attacked by TIE interceptors. Just come out of nowhere. Very exciting, especially for Daniel. Din jumps from Bo's ship and uses his jetpack to get to the N1 so he can join the fight. An amazing chase scene cool. ensues. Yeah, I was like, Daniel is fucking loving this right now. <laughs> was living. Bo and Din were just showing off those excellent piloting skills. They're way better with their ships than these four TIE fighter pilots are. They manage to destroy the interceptors, but when they fly back to Kree's castle, they find it being bombed. Distraught, Bo chases the bombers, but another group of TIEs approaches. Din tells Bo they need to flee. And she reluctantly agrees. Yeah. That was so and, sad uh, seeing the castle destroyed. Right. And she you could tell without even seeing her face, you just from the voice, you knew the emotion behind it. So obviously we all want to know what's going on next, what is happening. And then we take an unexpected detour. And it's Coruscant, which mm -hmm. seems to be unscathed from the war. Things are looking nice. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. The, they were pretty uh, much like I mean, under. They were like under blockade like the entire yeah. time. Yeah, it's it, of all places to not really be exposed to the war. Coruscant makes sense. Yeah, uh, they had some civil unrest, but that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> so we get to see the opera house uh, where nothing terrible has ever happened. No horrible conversations have ever be ha have ever been had. Yeah, no. uh, and we catch up with Doctor Pershing. So that is the imperial scientist who took some samples from Grogu in season one. And he talks about his research and how it could have helped the New Republic and also his experiences uh, experiences in the amnesty program and how totally it was for the greater good, guys. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> after the speech, though, he's surrounded by these fawning socialites and other rich people and they comment on how the New Republic isn't that much different from the Empire. And, you know, they love to stay out of politics and yeah. we're just so happy you're around now. We don't and, get involved. <laughs> right. And it's just so weird and pershing endures the attention but you can tell he is just uncomfortable which like absolutely buddy i feel you let him go home yeah yeah i mean unless his home is amnesty program housing complex mm. i mean they, they, the apartments were nice like when i saw yeah. the interiors they were pretty good yeah. i hate that my first thought was "Ooh, that's a nice apartment yeah <laughs> yeah yeah simple but furnished i mean yeah what do you want full-size bed and some nice pajamas yeah so yeah, it turns Jim out, Jam game was really good. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out certain former Imperials who are deemed rehabilitated enough are able to be sent to Coruscant to work effectively. Pershing joins a group of former Imperials who are talking about the things that they actually kind of miss from the Empire. I mean, the Empire is bad. Not, not that stuff. We're not talking about <laughs> those things. No. Like some of the food. Yeah. 
a little nostalgic for some rations. Pershing recognizes an officer from Moff Gideon's crew, and he kind of and he's immediately nervous. Mm-hmm. Her name is Elia Kane. Oh, I'm sorry, G sixty eight. Yes, that's true. G sixty eight. When they share rumors about what happened to Gideon, she says she tries not to think about it. Later on, Pershing finds a box of that food he missed, the yellow ration biscuits, outside his door. Elliot takes Pershing out to kind of just tour around Coruscant. She attended the Royal Academy, so she's pretty familiar with the city and the the planet as a whole. Uh, They have a kind of a cute moment when they're at a carnival and... Pershing tries to touch the tallest mountain on Coruscant because you can just see you see just the tip poking out of poking out of the thing, and he gets shooed away by security drives. That was that great, was fantastic. Was nice sir, sir, please don't. No littering. <laughs> hmm. But I wonder if that could be foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And they start having some conversations about how the New Republic is struggling, and Pershing really thinks he can help. Everything's fine. There are no red flags here whatsoever. Pershing asks his droid kind of social worker slash guidance counselor if he could possibly continue his work. But she says, "Mm, that's impossible. Like, no, we're not doing that. Growing more frustrated. with legal on Coruscant. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, (laughs) this isn't the Outer Rim anymore, baby. This isn't what we do here. (laughs) He grows more frustrated with his very stifling desk job and his inability to do anything really helpful. Pershing agrees with Elia that he needs to get new equipment to continue his research. This should be fine. Everything is totally cool and fine. Elia helps Pershing leave their assigned area to go find a mobile lab. They take a train ride, which is really cool, like an elevated train ride through Coruscant, and escape the train's droid conductors. Very no ticket. (laughs) He had no ticket as it gets thrown out of there. Uh, Pershing is nervous the entire time, but also super exhilarated. They end up in this scrapyard, and they find the items that he needs, but as they try to leave, they're caught by New Republic forces. Elia reveals that she tricked him into breaking the law, and sides with the security officers as they arrest him. Whoopsies! So later on, we see Pershing hooked up to a machine that a Mon Calamari officer tells him, this is not a mind flayer. It is just a nice device. It's going to help you chill out and become a better member of society. I personally have taken this. Like, <laughs> absolutely psycho. That whole scene was so creepy with the music in the background. And I'm just saying it's totally fine that you're about to get uh, basically uh, like electroshock. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like an electroshock it's lobotomy. lobotomy. Yeah. It's not, insane. Not and it's it's something very similar to what the empire used but this is a medical device now if it's a medical device why does it go to 11 mm-hmm. why does it go to 11 mm-hmm. so like alaya knowing it's a mind flayer just works this twi'lek officer she's like yeah no he's a friend let me stay here mm-hmm. ranks it up to 11 and fries persian's brain most likely yeah it is so creepy and then she just stands there eating one of those travel biscuits as she watches. Creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we think the episode's going to end there. And they say, oh, no, how about let's go back to uh, Din and Bo-Katan, which, thank goodness, so glad they did this. They end up going to the covert. Smart idea from Din to bring her there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they go confront the covert and they say look we went to the living waters here's our proof and the armor tests it and says this is indeed the living waters and she not only says that din is redeemed but she says bo you've not taken your helmet off since right and bo says no i haven't well then you're redeemed as well you're free to live with the covert as long as you want to and the covert accepts them in but bo is looking a little conflicted and she keeps looking at that mythosaur skull hanging on the wall. Yeah. Note yeah. to self, anytime they, anytime they make it a point to say, you can leave whenever you want, can't. red flags. Yeah. Oh. Can't. <laughs> no. And Bo probably, she's like, yeah, no, this is not, not good. This is going to be a terrible outcome. <laughs> I will say in their defense, it seems like people are allowed to leave and come and go when they want. Because like Den was allowed to leave and come and go. Well, yeah, he wasn't a flight risk. 
He wasn't a flight risk, and he was always coming back with stuff for them. Yes, but they're also all incredible murderers. So I feel like they're honest because they're like, oh, if we don't let her leave, she's going to kill several people before we kill her at least. I feel like they've got to have some sort of like, maybe we should be chill about this. When you just know, like under her helmet, the armor has to be like, shit, this is not (laughs) what I want. Like, this is, she can't say anything, really, because there's so many people around. But Ozzie I have Vizla a feeling. will give all the yeah. sass without even saying okay. anything. She's going to be like, we need to get Bo out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's not going to stand for that for very long. You can't have two leaders in one cult. That's just well, that's, not how this works. That is a good point. All right, guys. Like so, Colleen, what were your overall mm-hmm. impressions here? What was your initial reaction? Well, I, I've heard a lot of buzz about this episode. Um, I didn't know that I needed a Pershing slash Coruscant centric episode until now. Like, it was excellent. I was surprised by how much I loved it. Like, I knew that when we saw the director list this season that it would get like super stellar episodes, but this one was just like really moody, intense, and it made me feel squirmy. Like the entire time, I was just waiting. For that other shoe to drop and i knew it would eventually they didn't hide it like they he was like no this is going to turn out horribly like this is yeah. not going to be good but just the waiting for it and the intensity of the build for it was great it felt a little bit like andor which isn't a bad thing i enjoyed that kind of vibe uh lee isaac chung directed and wrote the film minari which was an excellent character centric and very hauntingly beautiful movie so he brought that kind of specific style and aesthetic to Star Wars, but it still felt like Star Wars. Yeah. It just felt more like a mashup between Mando and Andor, which I'm guessing we're going to be seeing a lot more of now since Favreau has said Mando feeds into a lot of other series. This is important. People were saying that they were bored or they didn't like it as much. And I was like, well, you got to let them cook. This is episode three. And if this is feeding into Ahsoka, we can probably guess that this is a very important episode. And these characters that we meet or meet again are very important to watch. We'll talk about themes later, guys, because there are a whole lot of themes (laughs) in this episode. Like, holy crap going on. Love it. Danielle, what did you think? I was spoiled beforehand and I found out that it was a Pershing episode. And so I went into this with low expectations because I was like, look, I'm sorry, it's episode three. Why are we getting a Pershing episode? I'm here to eat my words because I loved it. I mean, first off, it starts exhilaratingly, like amazing, amazing intro. And then cold open, cut to Coruscant. And I was like, okay, we are doing Pershing. But then, like you said, it was so haunting and like the way that it was directed Lee Isaac Chung, thank goodness, like, that was great. I have Minari on my shelf because I just bought it last week and I can't wait to watch it. Um, And it makes me excited because he's directing the um, Twister reboot. And I was like, oh, he doesn't really have action credits. Well, the action in this episode was fantastic. Like, he did great. Um, I thought it was a, a fantastic episode. The nature of seeing the new republic and its follies and the issues with it and how they're kind of falling into these same traps even if they mean better and they aren't trying to stomp on people like the empire did there's still that sinister underside to them and it's really interesting seeing the world beyond just the mandalorians i know the show's called the mandalorian i know it's about a mandalorian but we still need to see the world around din and actually getting the time in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens filled in like this, where we actually kind of get an idea of how the universe works. I know we're getting it in books and stuff like that, and that's great. But to see it on screen, seeing what this New Republic is like, I thought that was a really fantastic thing to do. Uh, it's, it, I hate to say it, they are <laughs> filling in the gaps in between... Uh, the original trilogy and the sequels and they're making me appreciate some things that they set up more but maybe we should have done this sooner but it's still amazing and I'm loving seeing it 
I cannot wait to see what the future holds for uh, communications officer Elia Kane. <laughs> right. And I think that that right there, that you just said that that was key because like we keep referring to this as the Pershing episode. My big takeaway from this is that this is not a Pershing episode. Yeah, This is the Elia Kane episode. This yeah. episode is about her in the like previously on it ends on her so we're reminded that it's her and she's like asking for her next mission and assignment so everyone's talking about pershing like looking at him oh tragedy and the entire time i was just watching her i was like no she's what's important here the rise the rise of a villain the rise of a villain setting her up as a major antagonist my one quibble i have with this episode and this gets to a couple of the points that you guys were actually making my quibble with this is that I need it to connect to the Mandalorian. Like if we're setting it, it can be fine if it's useful for Ahsoka, but I don't want to get into a Mando and Boba Fett situation here where it's like critical for you to watch this, to understand something that's happening in Ahsoka. I don't want us to go there. Cause I think that that's not a smart decision and, a, and not the right the right way to go about that type of storytelling that's where it's gonna go though just for the sheer fact that pershing and elia kane you know are are both characters we've already dealt with uh they're they're characters that are related to the mandalorian plot it feels like this will come into play later in the season because yeah you're introduced to the fact that there's an imperial warlord out there who seems to have a lot more resources Mm -hmm. than is standard for an imperial warlord i don't think that it's necessarily Thrawn that I know a lot of people seem to think it I is. I really hope it's not. I'm not going to lie. I, hope I, it's I not kind of do too, because it doesn't make sense. He has sense. motivations no, outside of the Empire. He right. wouldn't be doing this for the Empire. I think this is proto-First Empire stuff, because we know, or I mean First Order, because we know the First Order had sympathizers inside the New Republic government that, you know, helped, helped speed along some of this stuff. We know that they were out in the in the unknown regions building stuff up my timeline of the first order of how they build is a little shaky but i feel like they're tying in the first order origins into the mandalorian yeah we've already seen these imperial warlords this seems like the type of time where they're kind of cementing into that and yeah could be looking for gideon too like she might be trying to get up the ranks so she can find out where he is because there's all these rumors swirling about him where is he yeah so my main thing, like I'm reserving my final judgment on this just until I see how this particular story connects back in. And, and I hope it does happen later this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it could be Ray Sloan too. She could be out there like if it's first order yes. stuff. Yes. Which would be really cool. <laughs> just a couple quick that things to note sick. on this episode. I think just want to make sure we mention, you know, we talked about Lee Isaac Chung. He's the second Oscar nominee. Um, in the last two weeks to be have directed. I don't know if we mentioned that last week, last um oh, yeah. blanking on her name at the moment, but she was uh Oscar nominated cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's obviously Oscar nominated director for Minari. And this is the only episode this season that was written by someone other than Yeah, not Favreau specifically, yeah. which is like maybe he just was like, I don't really have a feel for this kind of story. I need to have a little bit more mm-hmm. like Please help me. <laughs> help me out, Noah Clark. You're my only hope. That is fantastic to point out. Just the breadth of talent that they are pulling in for this show. And obviously for Star Wars moving forward is so cool. And getting to have all these different opinions and viewpoints on what Star Wars can look like and what it can be. Like, this is a spy thriller. Like, part of the spy thriller that we were told we got in Andor, which we did. And this is just a nice continuation of that. But like you said, Anders, I hope it comes back to Din or yeah. to Bo in some way. Like it needs to tie in with what's happening with the Mandalorians. Yeah. But enough of the larger picture. Back to the specific <laughs> episode, Colleen. What were some of your favorite moments out of this? I loved seeing Coruscant in a different way, like kind of a touristy way. Because we're used to yeah. seeing like where the Jedi's headquarters was and the Imperial Sen- the Senate building. Like all the the like we're making laws here everyone this is beautiful and here we've got like the tallest freaking mountain on Coruscant which looks just like this rock just chilling there and then you get the glowing popsicles it's like a carnival atmosphere just kind of like people going about their everyday lives in Coruscant was really cool to see people being happy or at least kind (laughs) of happy was interesting to see 
Especially now that we know, especially in this episode, after seeing the rich people being like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, New Republic, blah. We know that they're going to get taken down by the First Order. Like, not completely, because Leia's out there with her group. Yeah. Which makes me want to reread Bloodline immediately. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many books that tied into this episode, which I think a lot of frustration from some people would have been eased if they also read the books, but you shouldn't have to read the books in order to like an episode. That's my biggest complaint is that some of these stories sound really great. I wish we had gotten them on screen somehow. Hell, even if these had been a cartoon that was used to bridge the gap. Awesome. Yeah. Like bloodline would have been a fantastic, not a filler, but you know, like a, a road sign to be like, this is where we're at. Poor Leia is getting deposed because she gets outed as Vader's daughter. And then you can also do like Alphabet Squadron stuff, which I really think they should make into movies because that could be the fighter pilot story that is needed. And those characters are great. As like the the leader of that? Yeah, Yeah. let's go. Yeah, I'm totally here for that kind of situation. I, I very much enjoyed it, but I do feel for people who didn't necessarily have that background to pull from. Yeah. And it was a surprise. Like, we weren't expecting this kind of episode to be in Mandalorian. So, Daniel, I think you, you guys can guess what <laughs> was. <laughs> Holy shit. What a cold open. Um, amazing, amazing spaceship battle. Mm-hmm. I, I was thought that, that like was... like an Immelman turn that Din yeah. did, where he did the flying straight up and then the fall? It's so cool. Like, that. I just... It was creative. That was the part that was so great. It wasn't just... Pew, 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 ships flying around. The way they did stuff was creative. With Din flying up in the air, cutting his engines, falling down, and playing chicken with the TIE Interceptor. Um, instead of just flying right through it, like we see all those things, he actually like swerved around the wreckage and kept going. Um, I thought it was so cool seeing him fall out of the gauntlet and then the Interceptors fly past him. Or like... When he is flying on the coast with Bo-Katan and she's like, oh, they're on this side, flank them on the right. Like you could see yeah. tactically what they were doing. It was not just, oh, ships uh, ships go burr, look so cool, which they did. <laughs> it was also like you could see how they were like uh, using the the surroundings and everything it was really cool seeing the tactics of it in that moment i thought it was really well directed it looked fantastic so that was like the part that like made me the most giddy like yay but i think the best done scene has to be with my new favorite character uh the one who says we are going to do this (laughs) this treatment it's a very pleasant thing you'll see some uh flashing lights and we've got this nice elevator music in the background. And we're just <laughs> casually talking about mind wiping a man because he was set up and he's begging, like, why did you set me up? It was a trap, a trap, a trap, you're sorry. <laughs> I love when he says it was that. a trap that like you see the Mon Cal just kind of turned his head a little bit. And I was like, you know, the Jimmy Stewart uh, sounding Mon Cal. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Like, I, I'm sorry. I love him and having that goofy voice delivering that very creepy scene. It at first was like, this is kind of strange, but then I was like, this is brilliant. Mm -hmm. This is brilliant. And how disarming it is that you're thinking like this should be a kind of funny thing, but you're like, Oh wait, no, no, no. We're talking about mind wiping a man. This is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dan, that, that aerial fight was just so gorgeous. It was so cinematic, especially coming after, you know, about a year or so of complaints about special effects in big franchise movies, mostly but not exclusively Marvel, like some Star Wars 2, some DC, like all everything. To see them pull that off was just amazing. But for me, I think my favorite piece might be just seeing Coruscant in all of its grandeur and looking good. It felt to me like the uh, special effects technology finally caught up to George Lucas's imagination from the prequels. (laughs) So it looked good this time. Yes. Looked real. (laughs) Yeah. It actually looked real. It looked kind of tangible. The the use of the volume here is amazing. 
Even there were a few moments where it felt like you could kind of tell like, okay, here's where there's obvious yeah. green screen and all that. But even then it's like, this is an alien world and it kind of like fits into the vibe of things where it's like slightly off. Like, I don't know. There, there were moments where even though you could tell the green screen was there going on, it still felt like it worked. Uh, so I can't really fault it. I thought Coruscant looked beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was great. All right, moving into our Easter eggs, connections, callbacks, homages. There's a lot to take through. There's a lot to talk about today. We're going to power through. Okay, I'm going to start with our girl. Elia Kane is back. Portrayed by Katie O'Brien, Kane has appeared in several episodes previously as one of Moff Gideon's communications officers. Pershing really should have known not to trust her, though, since her name is Elia. (laughs) Come on. Red flag. When I first saw her back in season one, I thought she might be Thrawn's trusted advisor from the novels, whose name is Karen Farrow. But I guess we'll just have to wait to meet her. I do like Elia, though. Great new character. I like her. I like Katie O'Brien's portrayal of her. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know Katie mostly from, she was in several episodes of Black Lightning as kind Mm -hmm. of a similar, like, soldier type character. Mm -hmm. And she did a really good job with that. She was just in Ant-Man Quantumania. Mm. But also back this week is Dr. Pershing, the geneticist, returns. And he has sought amnesty for his work for the Empire and the Imperial Remnant. And then we mentioned his speech takes place on the chorus, at the Coruscant Opera House, a location familiar to fans who learned the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise in the Chancellor's private box. Which I just have to say, very rude, Chancellor. These people are performing for you. You need to hush. Let them, like, let them do their thing and then we can tell our stories. Uh, and then obviously, guys, spaceships. Come on. Of course, I'm going to be the one talking about spaceships. I was so happy. We got to see TIE Interceptors in live action for, I think, the first time since Re- uh, Return of the Jedi. If, like, we have not seen a TIE Interceptor in person, like, you know, in live action for so long. It was amazing. We got to see the bombers, too. Mm-hmm. Like, for anyone who loves Imperial ships like me... I was eating this uh, this round. <laughs> so it was fantastic. And then we see a Dock Star Destroyer, uh, just like in a recent episode of The Bad Batch. And it also was uh, reminiscent for anyone that played Jedi Fallen Order. They said they were decommissioning this, these ships, so they were scrapping them like your character Cal does at the beginning. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool seeing that. And we also get, you know, one of Mon Mothma's priorities as Chancellor of the New Republic demilitarize and focus on diplomacy maybe don't demilitarize that fucking quickly mon but that's a story for another day yes and then uh an iconic shot i think an instantly iconic (laughs) shot of another spaceship we have the n1 rising up so a lot of people have pointed out when din flies straight up and then does the falling maneuver this shot really looks like an iconic shot out of 1989's batman where the the bat plane fall, rise in front of the moon to recreate the bat signal i also always think about whenever i see a move like that the matrix revolutions i'll die yes. in this hill so much better than reloaded but anyway story for another time uh they go up above the clouds and fall right down also kind of a similar shot to uh game of thrones episode the long night just with a dragon instead of a starship when they kind of break the clouds and dragons are cool too yeah yeah (laughs) they're basically a sentient ship it's fine they're sentient starships it's cool wait are we talking about farscape now i mean (laughs) (laughs) next we have the mon calamari in coruscant this was such a great detail most aliens would probably have moved off coruscant during the emperor's reign because he didn't like aliens very much, y'all, unless they were wealthy senators or other officials. Since the Mon Calamari were the rebellion's main military alliance, it makes sense that we see a lot of them this episode. It was also very nice Admiral Akbar call-out for the Mon Calamari performing Pershing's procedure to pause when he yelled, it was a trap. I'm like, sorry, but if you knew the history of my people, you know that's very offensive to yell out in front of me. Um, I wish you would think about our military history before doing such a thing. I love, I love that Mon Calamari doctor so much. Uh, I don't think he was a doctor. That's another problem. He probably was not. I'm just here to sell the mind flare. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, medical device. Uh, Yeah, so speaking of that Mon Cala, though, we got to see aliens everywhere. 
And that was, I think, one of the biggest issues, one that I agree with, with Andor. And um, hopefully that's something that we'll see rectified in season two. It sounds like they said there will be. But we got to see Mon Calamari, Twi'leks, Ishi Tib, Ethorians, Mibibanese, um, Mimbanese. I'm sorry, that's hard that's to say. <laughs> Pantorans, Rodians, Fergosians, and Barbadillans. I'm sorry, I've only seen those in writing. I don't know how to pronounce them. They're fictional uh, species. It's okay. But we saw tons of aliens, yeah. and it made me so happy because a lot of them looked practical, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so many of them did. It looks great. It looks so cool. And Daniel, don't worry about your pronunciation. Just blame it on Tongs Day, Brian, because Tongs mm-hmm. Days. Am I right? I mean, you're so right. <laughs> so Bendu Day and Tongs Day are two of the five days in the Star Wars week. The others are Prime Day, Syntax Day, and Gel Day. Sorry, uh, Prime Day. It's, <laughs> there's a day of the week that's just Amazon Prime Day. It expanded into this universe. Yes, well, it's Night Sister Prime Day because the can't be Amazons here. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so the name for Bendu Day comes from George Lucas's original name for the Jedi and the canon- canonical predecessors to the Jedi, the Jedi Bendu. Uh, and our and Flo's favorite character from Rebels, <laughs> and then the Tong were an ancient people in the Legends can- canon who once populated Coruscant and eventually settled on Mandalore to become yeah, some of the earliest Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. I love all these kinds of callbacks. I'm very here right. for it. Next, though, I'm not here for this. Eugenics is just yeah. never a good idea. Pershing tries to sell his ideas of genetic tampering as good for the New Republic. While he might have good intentions, like such as creating organs for sick people, the idea to breed ideal individuals is seated in a buried desire to make something perfect, which is impossible. This is way too Palpatine for us. Like, no, thank you. We don't want a master race on Coruscant. Pershing's comment about splicing together different strands of DNA is very likely a reference to the eventual creation of Snoke. Who I don't think is that perfect, but I mean, he might be one of the cast-offs, too. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it it felt like they were trying to uh, clone Force Sensitivity into something. Like, that really felt like the undercurrent of all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only is eugenics not a good idea, I also think it's a very bad idea to give amnesty to former Nazis, whether they're space Nazis or real life Nazis. Uh, Unfortunately, this felt very parallel to what happened after uh, World War II. So Dr. Pershing kind of feels like a Werner von Braun character. Like, Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, you did some very terrible things for the other side, but your mind is really good. And we want to beat the the Soviets in a space race. So get over into NASA. Yeah. yeah. The one yeah. difference here is that they didn't let him continue his particular work. They stuck him at a desk yeah. job. Yeah. But so, yeah. All I can think of in this moment uh is the quote from Archer where uh Jessica Walter's character talks about walk into NASA and say uh Zeke Heil <laughs> and watch how many people step up and goose step. Like that's what it yeah. felt like in this place. Like Yeah, and this leads us to ask us the question, is the New Republic doing the right thing here? So in addition to the question of whether or not amnesty should be granted in the first place, they don't really seem to be doing that great of a job at it. And they took some of the bad lessons from the Empire. Uh, The amnesty individuals are referred to by ID number, not by name, like the stormtroopers, which is just dehumanizing and ridiculous. They've got that kind of counselor droid thing. Not a therapist. I refuse to actually call that thing a therapist droid. It's Absolutely much not. more like the uh, the, blade, the Blade Runner like um, test that they have to yeah. go through yeah. where they're just doing the, the repetitive word thing. Yeah. And I, it just seems like they didn't learn the right lessons <laughs> from the Empire. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. We're going to talk about that a lot later. So people were saying that there were Andor vibes this episode. And that's fine. Like, it's an attempt of an episode of Andor smashed in the middle of the Mandalorian. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think it was a specific, like, oh, we should do an Andor-type episode. Like, no. no. No, no. That wasn't their intention. We had just seen Andor, so it probably felt like, oh, we just got done with the spy thriller, now we're going back. That's okay. Uh, the housing and sets locations used for the Amnesty housing block do look very similar to Daniel's favorite character, Cyril's <laughs> family apartment. <laughs> And Pershing's data job is very similar to Cyril's mundane daily life. So there are corollaries so. and parallels, but 
this had its own feel because it was like glittering, beautiful Coruscant, like the facade over the rot. Whereas Cyril was just like, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Cyril's doing TPS reports in hell right now. <laughs> no way. So, he's banging, yeah. he's banging uh, <laughs> the Imperial of the closet. I'm going to move on because I hate <laughs> you so much, Cyril. So we got to see the tallest mountain on Coruscant. So Umate is one of the only places that you can actually see the surface of Coruscant at all. Mm-hmm. Like it is an ecum, uh, ecumenopolis, I believe is how it's you something like pronounce that, yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thank you to the Wikipedia article that was getting read out to Pershing in his apartment. So this site is mentioned in Legends canon, but then its first uh, current canon appearance was in Light of the Jedi from the High Republic series. So that was fantastic to see brought into uh, mm-hmm. into live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't his cab driver, the like C-3PO prototype, talk to him yeah. about Coruscant's many wonders that he could go see? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I was like, I want that tour. I'll go. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, his cab driver has some had a few Easter eggs. I don't think we captured all of them in here, but that's okay. There were just so many. It was like endangered or extinct animals. I'm like, I don't want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me sad. But next up, we get the reference to the Coruscant Accords. So this is almost definitely referring to the governing documents that ended the Galactic Civil War, a.k.a. the Rebellion, a.k.a. the original trilogy. They were signed on the Empire side by Masameta, who was the de facto emperor at the time. Uh, after the events of the Battle of Jakku in the Aftermath trilogy uh, by Chuck Wendig. After these, Coruscant is not the capital of the New Republic, I believe. At this particular time, it's probably still on Chandrala. But it was moving. Yeah, by the time we get to the sequels, it's on Hasdian Prime. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it seems that despite that, despite the fact that Masameta is still kind of the figurehead leader of Coruscant, (laughs) he Mm -hmm. manages to get that deal for himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, What a dick. It does maintain its status as the kind of cultural center amongst the core worlds. Oh my God, it's New York. A dick mayor. Like, <laughs> it's still a cultural center, even though it's not the capital. It's New York. Yes, for real, though. Okay, next we have another mm, fantastic place on Coruscant. Elia mentions that she attended the academy there on Coruscant. This is the Royal Imperial Academy. It was the most prestigious of the Academy system, reserved for the best, and of course, the wealthiest, Imperial Cadets. It is heavily featured in Claudia Gray's Lost Stars, which we cannot recommend enough. Fantastic. If you want to know, like, Imperial Cadet life, go read Lost Stars, and also read the first Thrawn novel, because that is also very good and features cadet life. And we got some fantastic musical cues. So at the carnival, the music being played is the March of the Resistance. Uh, you know, a an edited version, but it is it is really cool to see the music from the movies brought into the Star Wars world itself. I always love when they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that theme too. Uh, next up, we have the photon fizzle. Uh, this is one of the treats that Pershing kind of enjoys at the carnival. It's a suite mm-hmm. that was also seen back in Attack of the Clones at Dex's diner. I love that idea of bringing back like treats and sweets and yeah. food. Like, I like universe-specific food. It's just really fun. You know, it's not fun. Lobotomies. This was a very distinct reference to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is an excellent movie and a really good book. Just like poor McMurphy in the classic film, Pershing is subjected to a lobotomy for his perceived crimes. It's also a sadistic female character in that movie that orders the procedure, although Nurse Ratchet is way more evil than (laughs) Elia. Like, holy shit. If you guys have not seen that movie... Wow. Yeah. That we know of. Who knows? Aliyah <laughs> could get a lot more evil. Oh, in the no. You, if you need to, Nurse Ratchet is like always in the top five villains of film of all time. <laughs> and there is a good reason for it. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of villains, though, we get the Mind Flayer. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't even do the voice properly that time. But yeah, no. So, it's referring to a character in Dungeons and Dragons. Most people are going to think Stranger Things because of that horrifying monster from there which Mm -hmm. cannot wait for season five but uh i'll move aside from my stranger things standing for a second it was um yeah it was really interesting because we've already seen something like this kind of in the star wars universe with borgullet from rogue one Mm -hmm. so that borgullet was kind of the yeah 
biological version of this. And then we got yeah. to see the technological version. So that was a interesting scene that brought over. Mm-hmm. And War we, saw what hap- we saw what happened to Bix mm-hmm. last in Andor. Oh, yeah. And uh, on another kind of downer note, does it really matter who's in charge? So these Coruscant elites don't seem to notice who's in charge of the government uh, as it does not seem to affect them one way or the other. We saw this in season two when Bill Burr made the exact same claim about the lower classes. So the people at the top and the people at the bottom don't seem to notice who's in charge because their shit never seems to change. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the line in Rogue One when, um, when, uh, oh my gosh, Forrest Whitaker. Why am I blanking on his name? (laughs) Sagarera. Yeah, he's like, how can you stand to see the Imperial flag fly over the galaxy? And Jen says, it's not that hard when you're not looking up. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, all these people aren't looking up. Yeah. Heads in the sand, very much so. Oh, and here we go. Poor Bo. Bo rejoins Death Watch. Wow. Not not the best for Bo. In addition to calling out her former squad, the Night Owls, Bo essentially rejoins Death Watch in this episode. Will she be able to resist the temptations of falling into old habits? Or has she become used to being the leader and will probably fight back against some of the things the armorer says? Like, what what are the odds on Bo taking off her helmet, like, immediately? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you got Katie Sackoff, flaunt it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You have these beautiful people playing See, Mandalorians. <laughs> here's my thing, though. Her looking at that uh, mythosaur skull on the wall, is she seeing the Children of the Watch's potential army for her to mm-hmm. once again make her way? Because like, if she can't have the Darksaber, she can have a mythosaur. And I think that's where her mind is going right now. Yeah, that's that was a big question a lot of people had coming out of this episode is what is Bo's end game with this? Why doesn't she tell Din about the Mythosaur? What is she thinking when like all these people are like welcoming her back? And you can tell it's a little bit of a struggle for her. And I think she's like she's a, in a little bit of denial about the Mythosaur mm-hmm. itself. But she also kind of like wants to have that in her back pocket as <laughs> like yeah. I can, I can go after this myself later. And I don't even think she fully knows what her play is at the moment. Like she just got real. Like she just realized that she was led into this cult. She's seen a mythosaur. Her entire worldview is being shaken up. And I bet she needs some time to process. But I don't think it's going to take her too long because she's a smart person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's Mandalorian. She's tough. Yeah. She'll get back into the swing of things really quickly. Oh, she will. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, then let's move on into some of our other discussion points, getting a little bit deeper into some of the things we've already been talking about. Colleen? Ooh, let's start with the amnesty program. So amnesty is an official pardon for people who have been convicted of political offenses. Former imperial military members and other personnel are first sent to re-education camps. Then some are placed in Coruscant for the amnesty program. I'm guessing like the top tier of the re-education camp people (laughs) get to go to Coruscant. Probably other planets have similar structures for mm-hmm. workers who are trying to help rebuild the bureaucracy. Seems like Whether... the type of thing that Naboo would probably have. Yeah, Naboo, because it's beautiful. And the artists order, mm-hmm. like the artists are like, sure, come hang out with us. Be chill. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out for Naboo. It's kind of like a, are they here to be watched more closely? Or is this basically like their second trial? Kind of like their yay you're gonna try and be a part of society and if you fail once you're fucked well it kind of seems like like getting a little bit into kind of a next a next uh point here but it's like is alaya like employed by the new republic to like root out these people or did she just sell him down the river on her own separately she's definitely like in in real in reality in secret working for the imperials on background but like does the New Republic like send her in specifically to tempt people? So right. it like it I, I I think we're gonna have to get an idea of the politics of what's going on. And I'm pretty sure we're gonna get more of a lie in the future, but it just feels so short-sighted that you would leave all of these Imperials in one place. Why are you housing all of these former Imperials together like this? Mm-hmm. It's Oh, so I was under the impression that when she took the research box, I'm like, oh, 
there's no way like the re, the new republic isn't supposed to be interested in this i don't think she was supposed to take that research box for the new republic and i think some of that stuff was you know the new republic guards were like oh we'll let it slide i yeah. i think we're gonna see just how quickly the new republic was infiltrated from within oh, because totally. she should not have been able yeah. to get away with the stuff she did even if she's working for them like right. why do you still yeah. have the why the did you science leave her tech? in the room why did you leave her in the room why it were there no like... medical professionals in the room still when it was yeah. going on like you didn't leave a nurse you didn't leave a medical droid nothing, nothing. i'm sorry but i may not be a medical professional but i have read the brochure and i can assure you after going through the treatment myself it is not bad just don't yeah. turn the dial up mm -hmm. yeah no i mean thing. that dial right there the don't Republic. touch that the New Republic being good or bad at their job is unfortunately, I mean, this is also what happens. Usually, mm -hmm. A lot of times after a revolution, that new government doesn't last right. or yeah. becomes you, corrupt very quickly. You can't just say, oh, we did it. We beat the bad guys. Now let's everyone put down our guns and be happy. Like, no, there has yeah. to be some sort of truth and reconciliation. Right. You cannot just surrender your ability to protect yourself right away. Mm -hmm. The New Republic was so short-sighted, and yeah, we're we're seeing that in live action and just being like, oh my god, what are you doing? And this was a huge part of the Alphabet Squadron books about the failures of the New Republic to help former Imperials. Because one of the main characters in Alphabet Squadron spends time in one of these kind of prison camps, re-education camps. And her character is super interesting because she's a former Imperial pilot who's basically mm -hmm. turned into a spy, but kind of unwillingly. It's a, an interesting way to look at Star Wars and just to see how badly the government kind of sets itself up for failure. Yeah. <laughs> Even from just like a group of five people. It's crazy. And then the next thing, those prisoner numbers. This oh, was gosh. a big one. A big one that people were talking about from this episode this is just like super petty, super bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. I think it was actually smart now to air Bad Batch and Mando together. Like at first yeah. we were kind of like, why did they do this? Was this an oversight? Was this a weird scheduling thing? They just but don't have faith week... in Bad Batch. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Which is sad because last week we got one of the best episodes of Star Wars with Crosshair dealing with his own disposability as a clone. And now we get these Imperials who are reduced to a number as well. So it's kind of like the going back and forth thing, like the soldier referred to as a number or as just a clone, you're disposable. And now they're doing the same to these former Imperials, like treating them like prisoners, which yes, they are. They're basically prisoners of war who are put to work in menial jobs because they can't be trusted <laughs> to do you anything still need more. to like be aware of their own humanity. <laughs> and that's the problem yeah. is that whenever that droid says like are you feeling resentful or are you feeling alienated it's like yeah they are you took their identities away these are people who some of them were soldiers so they're probably like oh yeah i've been called a number for a really long time but people like pershing not used to this they are yeah. used to being the super smart scientist who gets all the like good jobs and good work done and you start to give these hyper-intelligent people menial tasks, and you think they're not going to start like wanting to do other shit? Yeah. Just very short-sighted. And uh, that therapy droid. we got to talk about the therapy droid, because one, <laughs> not a therapist. It's not a therapist. It's not a, it's ther not a it's therapist. It's like a social worker. Yes, but like, okay, if you are going to be doing an amnesty program like this, and mm -hmm. you're going to be having like people that worked with people like Moff Gideon, scientists, like the 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 kind of level of people that you're allowing on Coruscant, and you mm -hmm. have this social worker droid who has no ability to read context, it doesn't understand what uh, Pershing is hinting at when he's like, oh, we're supposed to help the Republic above everything. He should have had a real sentient person right there who he could have spoken to. And like I feel like if... He could have just spoken to someone who treated him like a person, mm -hmm. even if they said no, or at least gave him like, you can put like push it up these chains of command. I feel like he would not have fallen into this trap, but no. because they just see them as numbers on a spreadsheet 
And you're like, oh, okay, well, for every failure, at least we've got some good ones. So we'll just yeah. mark these ones in the bad column and these ones in the good column. Like, what you can't dehumanize people like that, even though they are people who need to atone for their war crimes. Yes. Like, may maybe they weren't necessarily as severe and they can be reintegrated, but like, yes, they're prisoners. Still have to treat them like people. Yes. Yeah. You're just breeding future problems for yourself and future soldiers. Yeah. yeah. Against the only you. only droid we've ever seen be kind of successful being a therapist was a former torture droid. <laughs> <It's kinda laughs> yes. like, oh man, from the Alphabet Squadron books again. ITO. Oh, oh yes. my god, love love you so much. But droids just were not made for this. They're mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's like staffing shortage. Like, yes, we know there's probably not a lot of New Republic workers yet. But it's been, aren't we at 11 years now? 12? Um, past Maybe work on some projects you know, on like one at a time. Seven or eight. Yeah, my math is terrible when it comes to yours. Yeah. But we are post-imperial enough where things should be working right. a little bit better. Maybe let's not decommission fleets while we're also trying to reintegrate yeah. people. The decommissioning of the fleet was a bad choice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're behind in our TPS reports, so you can't <laughs> utilize a uh, technology that'll be good for us. Like, shut the fuck up, you weaselly little bastard. That office guy, whoever played mm -hmm. him, well done. You played the annoying office fuck perfectly. He did. And you could tell he was uncomfortable too. Like, mm -hmm. he was trying a little bit, but then the instant things got uncomfortable, he's like, uh, I gotta go. I don't want to <laughs> rock the boat. Like, yeah. Which, yeah. fair. I mean, you don't really know what the re new regime's going to do either. Yeah. Okay, next part. This is, we talked a little bit about it before, how we do not really want Thrawn to be this person that maybe have a, a sneaky introduction here. The quote is, that's a lot of ships for an Imperial warlord, which yeah. you don't say things like that unless there's a reason. They also We're had really to hoping... come from somewhere. Yes, they had to come from somewhere, so it seems like, and tactically, their movement was reminiscent of something that Thrawn would have done, like the bait-and-switch yeah. kind of situation. But he and, isn't the only good tactician that was in the Empire. Right. he was not, and it doesn't really make sense for his character or his possible arc that he's here, like, what does he have against Bo? Why would yeah. he be trying to take out the Kree's family? That's just seems a little weird. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping it's not Thrawn. I really hope we just get like maybe he's Thrawn ordered somebody to do it or something to get them off of his back. That would be kind of funny. Maybe <laughs> it's like, Gideon. Oh. And it could be Gideon. That is another I... thing that would tie Elia back with the Mandalorians. Gideon, I think, would be a little like, oh, we captured him, but now he's back again. Ooh, like we already mm -hmm. did that with Grogu. Like if you Unless do that with Gideon yeah. too. Unless like, he's captured and they're kind of working without him or trying to find him. Which could be a thing. Yeah. See, we brought her up before. If they brought in Ray Sloan, maybe cool. yeah, Ray Sloan's to... out in the unknown regions. Yeah, she's but yeah, supposed to. If okay. she sends agents out thinking, hmm, Gideon would be a good person to have in our ranks. Maybe, yeah, like be. you said, they're trying to search for him. Or putting like, out that feelers. Could... You could, yeah, that could be an option. Like, let's go look into the people that helped capture him. Let's try and track him out. Like, I, I just hope they go a different route than Thrawn. They, there's more interesting routes that they could go. Right. And I think the Thrawn stuff needs to stay with Ahsoka. Yeah. Because I think Thrawn's I mean, too busy to deal with yeah. the Mandalorian. No, yeah, he and Ezra are making about, muffins. Yeah. yeah, they're talking about yeah. art. And the Grisk, hopefully, and what's going yes. on with the Chiss planets. So, yep, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, make him make sense with it, what we already has been established. Like, mm -hmm. let's move on from Thrawn. Well, not move on from him. Let's How dare you. make sure he stays <laughs> in Ahsoka where it mm -hmm. will make sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I love Thrawn. Don't want to put. Don't want to hate on him. <laughs> Next up, I want to talk a little bit about Pershing's little tell here. So. Mm -hmm. When he's uncomfortable, he does it once during his speech. He does it during one of his little uh, counselor sessions. He kind of strokes that ear that is the ear that got singed and shot shot at yeah. during Cara, season two from Cara, Cara Dune. Yeah. 
But my question is, I mean, do we think that that's just he's uncomfortable or is it a show that he or is it a sign that he's lying? Like it started to make me think how much of that story about his mother and her heart is actually true. Yeah, because they play it. They give him a really, really fine line and he walks it very well Mm -hmm. in terms of being the like the idealist who unfortunately got like swept up in something and the kind of mad scientist. I'm pursuing this because I can. Well, he I think kind he of tries tells... to justify oh, yeah, go, Daniel. Oh, he, he kind of tells two different stories about his mom. Yeah. Like you said, Daniel, justification. Like he's justifying yeah. his existence, whether his mom had a bad heart if she was also a doctor. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I think he's trying to cover his own bases and make himself feel okay. Because mm-hmm. I think deep down he knows what he was doing for the Empire was wrong. But he's so interested and invested in his research. And like He's he gives that wonderful story. It's like, oh, I was trying to help my mom whose heart gave out. And like, sure, if the cloning tech for organs was available, that probably could have helped her. Why do you necessarily need to then advance your technology to the point where you're taking DNA from other people to create like super DNA? Like, yeah. He, he took it too far, and I feel like it's all about ego for him, but he doesn't he want to admit it to himself. So he, like, maybe he's lying, maybe he's uncomfortable, but, like, that little touch of the ear is him, like, he's seeing the parts of himself he doesn't like in that moment, and, like, right. it's, yeah. He's trying to make himself feel better. He wants to feel the like the hero done. in his own story. Right. Yeah. And he's holding on to it. Now the question then becomes, could he have done it? Could his research have actually been used for good? Or is it too much of a risky prospect? He He's kind of got this, I'm the only one who can do this. And yeah. I mean, we've seen that in the potentially positive side over in uh, Captain America Civil War. The safest hands are still our own. Mm-hmm. So like, as long as I'm involved, I can make sure that it's used for good. Here's the big difference. Captain America saying that actually means it and wants to do the right thing. Pershing, I don't think, has the moral fortitude of Captain America. Like, Pershing might be the only one who could actually do the research, like, skill-wise, maybe. But I don't think the safest hands are his own. Like he said earlier in the episode. He needs a minder. He needs someone to watch him. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Like he said he earlier, he needs a companion episode, on his journey oh, yeah. through time and space. He does need a companion. <laughs> <laughs> like the ethics of cloning are difficult; they're risky and they're hard. Uh, I don't think he was the right person. Maybe someone in the New Republic could have used it. I, I think though, clone some um, some organs so you can give people their own organs as replacements. You don't have to worry about transplant stuff. Doing super DNA, we're getting into rough territory that even the most well-meaning people i don't trust to have that like ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> yeah like sorry you're getting too icky eugenicist buddy <laughs> yeah all right and then lastly i want to touch on this point one more time who are rebellions ultimately for so now we've seen the view from both the bottom and from the top and both of those classes of people don't seem to really notice or care who's in charge because they're either still doing fine or they're still getting screwed so how true to reality is this where the people at the top and the people at the bottom kind of don't don't care and even when they do join up the fight their situation still doesn't change right (laughs) i'd say it's for the oppressed is what ideally they would be for like the rebellion is for the wookies the people who were enslaved they're not necessarily poor people or people who are used to working certain jobs that got to keep working these jobs or were super rich who got to stay super rich. But even for people like Mon, like they are for this, the senators who actually want to do what's good for the galaxy or like what's good for as many people as they can possibly help. It's a really tough question because a, a lot of times the rebellion starts with the oppressed or mm-hmm. in this case, it started with, Padme and Bail Organa and their group being like, I don't know if we should trust this Palpatine guy. <laughs> so I think one of the big problems is it often is started by people who care, are super invested, and unfortunately are lost along the way because they're figureheads. 
the oppressed, you know, the, the lowest among them are rising up and fighting for themselves. But, you know, you, you change maybe the government. You still have people like Masameda still there. Yeah. You still have people that influence things still being part of the government. You did this revolution and you took care of the Galactic Empire. What about all these companies that still were yeah. making stuff for the empire? All like all this, these banks, these areas of society that influence things that you didn't make changes for mm-hmm. and are not suddenly being kill. run by the people. Yeah. Are not suddenly being run by the people who have their best interests of the people in heart. And so like it, they come from good places and they're led by good people often, but then you can't change everything about society. And so many of the issues that underlie things are still there. And so like, it's, it feels true to life. Cause it's like this, like just because you have the righteous cause and one that doesn't mean that other people don't just, you know, want things to go back to the status quo and line their pockets right. again. And they're like, yeah, I'll survive this no matter what. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. In it's, order to actually sad. get rid of those people, yeah. you have to be a monster. Yes. Yeah. You would have to like genocide almost all of Coruscant's elite. <laughs> I mean, I mean we are not endorsing we are we are not endor- we are not endorsing genocide. <laughs> no, absolutely it's not. not. Genocide because they're not a people <laughs> class. I what I think what we're advocating for is a monetary class. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, guys, I'm kidding. This is all in Minecraft. Where right. did Star Wars get political? Could <laughs> <laughs> have guessed that. All right, moving into our last bit here. Any final questions we have coming out of this episode? Predictions about what's coming next? Well, I'm wondering why Pershing had to be disposed of. If, and maybe Elia was there to like weed out these people who were Imperial, but who would probably flip and work for whoever because they just wanted to do their work. Like Pershing, he would have been fine with New Republic if they would eventually have gotten his like right to do his work again or at least partially she might be there to find these kind of people and frame them and get yeah them killed i could so see they that. can't help the new republic yeah. or she's just trying to move up within the, the ranks of the amnesty program and the new republic and just try and get as much information as she can and pershing was just like a ooh, i can take him out because she keeps she kept like asking him questions and delving into like what he wanted to do and what we, he was about and he's an idealist and i don't think that's what she's looking for yeah and she's like yeah we can't let any of this cloning situation fall into the hands of the new republic because gideon like was interested in that as off well. to the to imperial remnant first order whatever you want to yeah. call it yeah oh yeah yeah definitely and then we've seen most of the trailer content now which is pretty like similar to all the other Star Wars shows, yeah. except for the Mandalorians jumping out of that drop ship. I want to know what the F is happening at that part. I for real. have an idea. Ooh, it us. looks like they're jumping out of the gauntlet. Mm. I'm guessing, and it looks like it's on Navarro. So mm. I'm guessing is that Pirate King Gorian Shard, who I love, is amazing, the light of my life. Cannot wait to see him and his beautiful design and his beautiful ship roll up to Navarro, cause some problems, and then who is Carl Weathers going to call other than his good friend, Mando! Yes. And mm-hmm. who has a crew of Mandos now? Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be, I think that's what it's going to be. I think the Mandalorians are going to come rescue Navarro from pirates, and it's going to be badass as hell. Yeah, I think that would make sense. Also, next week is um, the episode that Carl Weathers directed, so that would make mm-hmm. sense that it would be back it's on tomorrow. Lining up perfectly. For I think that's it. a great prediction, Daniel. My other questions for this episode: We talked about it a little bit. Why was Bo targeted? Why? Why take out Castle Kreis now, mm-hmm. specifically? Yes, it seems really strange. And then, what is up with Moff Gideon? We heard the rumors about what happened to him, but yeah. what's the ultimate truth? I hope we do get some confirmation on Gideon. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, Bo did steal a bunch of Imperial ships, but she lost her whole. And that was like uh, two years yeah. ago now. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. 
I, I feel like we are uh, we're going to be fed some answers about this. Mm-hmm. It, Definitely. If it's not Gideon, I feel like we're going to find out who our imperial antagonist is pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And I think like that'll probably be more of the focus of the last half of the season. Makes sense. Daniel, do you have any questions or anything else? Um, ooh. So I, I guess my I'm gonna I'm gonna flip away from Pershing because we've talked a lot about that side of the story. I'm I'm just really curious to see where Bo Katan goes from here. Is she actually feeling more immersed in the Mandalorian culture? Is she actually like kind of feeling rejuvenated in all of that? Or is she just using them as a means to an end? Like I, I'm really interested in to see the evolution of Bo. Like, is this finally going to be the time where she rises up as a leader, victorious after all these failures in her past? Hopefully, Bo Katan, I love you. Even though you started with Death Watch, we're going to forgive that you were a young <laughs> woman. You've grown up. You've got amnesty. Um, yeah, you've got amnesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you helped Obi Wan, you helped Ahsoka, you helped the Rebels crew. You've proven yourself by this point. I would love to see Bo-Katan really rise up and become a true leader in this season. Mm-hmm. Or she could take a very dark turn. Either one is up for grabs, and I hope it's the first one. But yeah, I'm just I'm the way they left her staring at that mythosaur. I swear if she tames the mythosaur this season, I will lose my mind. That'd be amazing. I would lose my mind. Just have her little cute pet. Little cutie cutie pet mythosaur. (laughs) This is something from Legends. I don't think they're ever going to adapt it, but I really hope they do. In Legends, Mandalorians had these things in ancient days called basilisk war droids that they would drop out of spaceships uh, and just blast shit (laughs) as they were like coming down into planets. And... I want them to bring Basilisk war droids into Star Wars again. Holy shit, the idea of Mandalorians just dropping themselves <laughs> from war droids out of the sky and just blasting shit as they uh, you know, go through the atmosphere. Please, Star Wars, if you're not doing it this season, bring us a fucking Basilisk war droid next season. I'm here for that it. That just came into my brain, and I needed, I needed them to hear that. I like okay. last-minute inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to be done with the convert for this episode. We still don't know who the convert is supposed to be. Could be Bo. Could be Pershing. Could be Elia. We don't know. Hopefully we'll find out later. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWpod. Follow us wherever you're getting your podcasts. Hit that follow button. We love to have little followers. Check out our previous episodes on the main Star Wars films and other great Star Wars content. Check out all of the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find Anders and me on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast. Daniel also guest stars on many pods for us there. You can find my Star Wars book reviews on BohemianGeekStudies.com. And of course, join us next time. We'll have episodes on Mando again and The Bad Batch next week. So doubling down on our episodes. Very excited to talk about bad batch coming up mm-hmm. it's gonna be great until then though listeners remember do not leave the former imperial officer alone with the patient in the what was it again checks notes mind flare i'm Thank sorry you. but that is uh not a mind flare it's actually a very pleasant medical procedure um goodbye everyone <laughs> bye everybody